modern-day parable, let's look at this, this passage here. If you would stand with me, Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, a request to Jesus, the Son of Man. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. So that passage was not to say that Dabo is the uh, allegorical Jesus, the Son of Man here, though some at Clemson might think that. But if Jesus, the Son of Man, were here today, how should he be approached? What would you say, what would you do if Jesus, Son of Man, were here? Seems like in the passage, maybe they didn't quite get it. Will we get it? And likely there, there's three types of folks here this morning. You know, plenty of folks who have heard plenty of sermons about Jesus. And in fact, thinking, Son of Man, isn't this the Advent sermon that should have been preached three times? Yes, this is the fourth time that's the charm. Hey, it might not go. Something still might happen. The building might cave in. Jesus might come back, and that would be a good thing. But if we do make it through the sermon, hopefully, folks who've heard plenty of Jesus sermons, hopefully there's still some nuggets here for you. Or maybe, maybe there are folks here who are, who are hungry. You are in such a walk with the Lord right now. All I got to do is say Jesus, and you're going to say amen. All right? Not many of these folks, they're at the Baptist church. We need to go get them and bring some of them here. Come on now. <laughs> or, or maybe there's still some skeptics, you know, left over from the holidays and whatever. You're still in town and somebody just dragged you here. Hey, hopefully there's something to challenge you to realize Jesus, the Son of Man, is truly the Lord. So what we're going to look at today uh, with Jesus, the Son of Man, are three aspects and three images of Jesus as the Son of Man. Kind of, if you had uh, hats to put on a hat rack, we're going to have three rungs on this rack to hang your new Christmas hats about Jesus, the Son of Man. So first, when we, when we think of that title, the Son of Man, okay, you've got Jesus says, Lord, Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Son of Man. Mm. That doesn't sound as powerful as Messiah. You know, in, in Hebrew, Messiah, Mashiach. That sounds kind of powerful. Lord, 
the Lord, even Darth Vader, Lord Vader, that has some power to it. Son of man, who here has maybe even ever prayed to Jesus and addressed him as the son of man? Should you? It sounds like I'm praying to a man. Should I do that or not? The big idea, and you'll see this in your outline in the bulletin, is that we can and should worship Jesus, the Son of Man, as the ultimate servant, the ultimate humble servant, the ultimate authority, and the ultimate power. Hopefully we will worship him more effectively after today. I'm going to say Jesus, Son of Man, was his favorite name. Eighty-one times Jesus is called the Son of Man in the Gospels. Eighty times he calls himself the Son of Man. That's what he addresses himself as. Why? Let's go backwards first. If you have a Bible, just flip back to Ezekiel. Big book in the Old Testament. Find Psalms. You, know, you can always open in the middle. There's Psalms. Then go to the right a little bit. Before Daniel, there's Ezekiel. Just flip around for a few seconds. Son of man is all over in the book, especially at the beginning of the chapters. Uh, God speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, do this. Son of man, go lay on your left side. And the number of days you lay on your left side represents the years that I'm going to put discipline on Israel and so forth. Son of man, do this. Ezekiel treated as a lowly Humble prophet, son of man, you must be humble. Jesus takes that name knowing that. A name of humility, a name of service. So for our image, that's the concept. Jesus is the son of man, humble servant. Image, picture Jesus, the, the servant who washes his disciples' feet. And, and those feet were pretty nasty, okay? My, my girls, they used to give me uh, Christmas presents, like in the stocking, that would say, foot rub can be claimed any time of the year. I loved that. I would pull that out. They'd rub my feet for about 20 seconds. And my feet were clean. They'd rub my feet for about 20 seconds. And eh, this is yucky, Dad. I'm done with this. I, I don't get those anymore. I miss those. Jesus was, I, he's washing the disciples' feet with sandals that they've been walking around in dirt, mud, cow dung, and he embraces, not just accepts that name, he embraces it. And so we see, in a sense, what was so grotesquely inappropriate that in the passage, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, say, come on, sugar daddy, give me the, the best. <laughs> and Jesus says, ironically, to some extent, you're going to get what you're asking for. You will drink this cup you will suffer, and you will be humbled. And, and plenty of folks in this congregation today be encouraged in the sense that you are suffering, you are being humbled, and you are accepting it. It might be saying, I'm, I'm willing to give up this particular dream, to go to this school, to have this level of health, to live in this location, because it's not really what you, Jesus, the Son of Man, have for me and I will accept that. You're, you're embracing that. Be encouraged. You're willing to pursue the greater good later because you're willing to accept suffering now. And suffering is a privilege biblically. 
So the humility that Christ embraces and that we should too is one that serves others. And the world doesn't go for that. The world says rise to the top. Don't serve, be served. Put yourself above others. So, so maybe the application is for the, the believer who's been here, heard plenty of the Jesus sermons, to simply embrace that call that Jesus has and to serve. It could be as something as simple as, as the setup ministry. We've got several more months uh, before, hopefully, we're in the, in the building. But for that ministry that we pray that will go away, there are a few more months. So you could step in and serve here and do that. That would be a humble way to do it. But maybe it's outside of church. There are plenty of, plenty of ministry that takes place out of church, outside the walls of the church. could be the husband who's saying, I will listen I will invest in my wife like I never have before. Or the wife doing the same for the husband. To embrace that opportunity to be humble and think more of the other. Or it could be to share the gospel with somebody in that normal connection group that you have. To step out and say, I'm willing to do that. I might like goofy, look goofy. I might make a mistake. I might not say the right thing. But I'm going to embrace that call to be humble and share the good news with someone else. Humility, it's been said, is like um, if you picture the well, the old well of water where you dip the cup in, the ladle, the cup, the deeper you go, the more water you get in the cup, the lower we are in humility, the more we are truly filled with the grace of God. But Jesus wasn't just saying, be like me. Okay, that was, that's one rung, that's one aspect of the, of the name, the Son of Man. But the Son of Man meant much more. Ezekiel was a prophet. Jesus was the prophet, the priest, the king. All authority, all authority Jesus had. If we look at a second passage, if you want to flip just back to Matthew 9, you're going to look at verses 4 through 8. This is Jesus' healing of the paralytic. The Son of Man is mentioned here. Let's see what he says. Beginning in verse 4. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. A different reason he embraced that name, the Son of Man. It was a name of authority. And Jesus had authority to heal, and he had authority to forgive sins. And, and forgiving sins is not just like erasing something. And these men knew that. They were saying, look, Mr. Son of Man, we slaughter bulls, goats, sheep, and it's a bloody mess. We get bloody, the priest gets bloody, it's awful, but we are earning our forgiveness. And you come in here and just say he's forgiven, you're more, you're more repulsive than the bloody mess. But Jesus said, no, I am the son of man. I have authority to forgive sins. And it might be the most crucial aspect of his ministry. The son of man was saying, it, it does prove something to heal the man. That's a miracle. It proves something. 
But you physically heal somebody, they're going to get sick again. They're going to die eventually. You can teach against sin. That might help to lessen it, maybe do less, mitigate. You cannot completely eliminate the effects of sins through teaching. It must be paid for in God's economy of how he runs the universe. In other words, think of this. If we leave the service later today and I'm going to back out my car and I hit Jack Case's car, he has a nicer car than me, I'm sure. I back into his. Daryl, I'm sorry you did that. You're going to need to pay me for that. That's quite a dent you put, okay? The sin, the error addressed, I pay for that. Or Jack might say, poor pastor, it's okay. You didn't mean it. I'll pay for it. But the sin, the blemish is still paid for. Jack paid for it. He fixed it. Or he could just say, I'm I'm just going to live with it. I'm not paying for it either. But then he drives around and he has this dent in his car. It has to be paid for in one way or another. In God's economy with sin, he's saying, for it to be is from the east to the west is only because the Son of Man gave his life an atonement to pay for the sin. He took care of it. And as a human, what, what is our biggest need in life? You might say friends or that special someone. A purpose in life. All of those are important indeed. But what we need as much as purpose in life is to be ready for death. We need to be prepared for death. And even more important than what we think of God is what Jesus the Son of Man thinks of you and thinks of me because he is the judge. The Son of Man has all authority. So several weeks ago, I, I, had, to, I had to travel um, and don't like being away from home. The one little glimmer in this was that I had gotten bumped up to first class. So I had my big old boot on, for the previous surgery, and I'm going down the, um, the, the, to get on the plane. I've got my little goofy knee rover cart, and I got the crutches sticking out in my backpack, and a guy comes up behind me. Oh, I've been there before. I know what that's like. I did this before. I was just so couple months ago, and I'm da 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 So I'm thinking, ah, oh, man, I'm getting on this plane. At least I'm going to get some work done. I'm, I got bumped to first class. I'd be able to spread out. About, and he's sitting next to me. Hey, let me tell you how I got up here in first class. I asked the attendant, how do you get up there? She said, I really like these cookies. Well, I went and got her four of those cookies. I'm up here in first class. Just t- I want to ask Todd about how that works with the uh, American Airlines. I thought they were a little more stringent than that. Now, in reality, this guy was in the military, so I think rightly so. That had some effect. But seven of his military buddies come down the aisle, and he's waving at them. He says, oh, the eighth guy, I'm going to give him this seat. I'm going to give him this seat. The guy turns it down. (laughs) Two hours and 40 minutes of study time, we're talking, talking, talking. This introvert, when I got off the plane, I just went in a corner. and. (laughs) But, But... so we, we, we talked, and, and on a plane, usually I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I just 
But it, somehow it came out. You know, he's a pastor. Whoa! So he launches in. This theological question, that theological But where it really landed was this. He, sure, he shared about pain, heartache, waking up at night, in a sense, demons, just stuff that tormented him. Brother, how are you going to be forgiven? Only the Son of Man can forgive this darkness, this sin. He wasn't ready for it for two reasons. He didn't believe in the authority of only the Son of Man. Nah, this religion seems like this, this. And number two, his justification in life was that he was going to give his children a better life than he had. Is that good? Absolutely. But that was what he was resting on. A good thing became his gospel, that my children will have a better life than me because of what I am giving them. And so often we do the same thing. We know, as believers, yes, I'm justified by Christ alone, but that other little gospel will creep in where it's, yeah, but I'm really kind of getting my assurance because I do this or that. It'll come. It'll come. So what, what we're going to do is just a quick test this morning to, to make sure that we don't compare to each other and so forth. We're going to take one minute. I'm going to put the timer on it. You grab someone next to you, somebody you don't know, and you're going to share your three worst sins. They're going to share their three worst sins. It's not funny. <laughs> Ruin my illustration. You're supposed to share your three, their three, and then we'll find out who's worse. If you hadn't laughed, hopefully you were supposed to feel, whoa, I don't want to do that. I am hopeless. I am helpless to, to have any claim before Jesus, the Son of Man. I go to him hopeless and helpless that only he can grant what I need and that is forgiveness. He must give it to me. I have no other help or hope. I can't be better than this guy I'm going to share with, okay? You got to say amen to that at least. Come on, Baptist, let's go. <laughs> Jesus, son of man, the judge, having all authority. Years back, I had an interview, I think it was with the NSA. This was a long, long time ago. And what they do is, or this guy did, was a polygraph, a lie detector test. And what he was doing as he talked to me was he's talked like this, and I was kind of falling asleep. And he's like, so when back in the past, when you did this as a child, what did you do when you told a lie? <laughs> what? It's like, what are you trying to do to me? You're trying to trick me. You, he was a judge trying to trick me in a sense. And sometimes we think of that as the son of man. He's just a judge out to get me. But... Jesus, the Son of Man, the judge, is the one who has all the evidence, everything that you ever tried to hide. And he looks up and he smiles. With all authority, he smiles on you who have trusted in him. So Jesus, the Son of Man, the ultimate servant, the ultimate authority, and then the third rung on that rack, Daniel 7, 
Look there for a minute if you want. This is, these are the verses that uh, Hunter read at the beginning, verses 13 and 14. When you think of Daniel, what do you think of? Usually we think of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, uh, writing on the wall, those, those true and good stories. The second half of the book is some crazy, <laughs> apocalyptic, prophetic good stuff. Verses 13 and 14, we'll just look at these. The Son of Man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. We're going to hear that again shortly. The clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man having power, a, a mysterious, in a sense, power. What's, what's, ta- what's being talked about here? It captures our attention for good reason. Who has glory, kingdom, and everlasting dominion? God. God does. And he gives it, as we heard somebody said, the Son of Man. God the Father has this, says, give it to the Son of Man. Jehovah's Witness who comes to your door next time. Who's the Son of Man? He has to be God. Jesus is God. We see that in this passage. In the name of the Son of Man, we want to kind of get this straight, even though it sounds opposite. Usually when Jesus says or is referred to as son of God, it's referring to humanity. Son of man is his divinity. We see that in this reference. Son of man, Jesus' title, he took himself to show I am divine. And we'll see more of that in just a minute. Question for the children. Children, what what does every good story or movie have a climax where there's some conflict and stuff is rising and getting bigger and bigger and and then there's this climax and there's a resolution where hopefully good wins what if what if the story didn't have a climax i mean think of pick pick one out for for the younger children frozen what if what if um elsa just reigned in the uh, the castle the frozen castle forever and nobody ever did anything that's kind of boring but no, Anna and Olaf, they come and they battle and they rescue and twist, turn, this thing, and she's rescued. There is a climax, a high point, and it's a good thing. Move forward in this story. The Son of Man. Look at Matthew 26. So just flip to the right a little bit. Matthew 26, verse 62. We have what is called the climax, the Christological Fancy term, the, the climax where we see who the Christ is in verses 62 and following Matthew 26. And what we have here in this passage, we have a judge who's not a good judge. Caiaphas, the high priest, he's the judge, he's not a good judge. In our court system, say even in North Carolina, we have you can take care of if there's not a good judgment. In this past year, 300 times 
In North Carolina, somebody said, this judge didn't do a good job. He was a bad judge. And you appeal, and it goes on. In this case, we're going to have a bad judge. Jesus is not going to appeal. The judge who could have condemned the bad judge is going to receive the punishment. So in verse 62, And the high priest, Caiaphas, stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Daniel 7. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. The high priest, as judge, asked Jesus, Give an answer. You the Son of Man. Jesus. Like Aslan, wicked witch, telling him, Give an answer. She slays him. Remains silent with all dignity. Jesus remains silent. He doesn't have to give an answer. But the high priest binds him. The word exerkizo in the Greek binds him. You must give an answer with an oath. Jesus submits. You've answered your own question. You have said so. But then in that climax, he puts himself in the prophecy of Daniel 7. You will see the Son of Man seated with power. Capital P, power, power, bold, exclamation mark, all that. The high priest got it. Power was like a, the fancy word metonymy, where if we say to a, to a gambler, uh, uh, track, track equals horse racing, or White House equals presidency, the word power equals God. And the high priest got it. He said, I know what you're saying. Just like C.S. Lewis, Lord, lunatic, liar. I know what you're claiming. You're saying you're God. You die. But Jesus didn't come. The Son of Man didn't come in clouds the first time. What's he talking about? Something is yet to come. In one sense, the, the Bible points forward to the cross and resurrection and backwards too, but it is also pointing forward, forward to the day that the Son of Man will come on the clouds. And he will take and he will bind the strong man and throw him in the pit of hell forever. The Son of Man is coming back. And for the skeptic, that image might be hard to accept. Coming on the clouds. I mean, what? Go back a hundred years ago for the scientific skeptic. Would, would, would he have thought that the, a space shuttle is going to go up into the atmosphere and come back? If we, as little humans, can overcome the physics and get space shuttles up and back, Jesus, the Son of Man, can come back on the clouds, and he will. And he will come in glory. The word doxa, doxa, glory, 
means to raise one's opinion of. To raise one's opinion of. Glory. How do we, how do we like to raise opinions of ourselves? Often our resumes, right? We beef up this resume, make them raise their opinion of me. I can think back to my senior year of college, baseball, and we're filling out information that they're going to put in the program. I'm like, coach never fact checks this. I'm adding 30 pounds to my weight, three inches to my height. There it is in the program. I have it in my cube at work. Boosting opinions. Hey, maybe the scouts are going to look at this and see, oh, baloney. But, <laughs> but I was trying to doxa, raise opinion. Jesus Christ, his resume, he will be coming on the clouds for you, believer, to rescue you and take you home forever. And it will be such a powerful moment. The Revelation says for the unbeliever, the unbeliever will say to the mountains, fall on me. It will be that overwhelming. So brothers and sisters, we, our application is simple. To worship, to worship the Son of Man who is the ultimate servant who says, follow me. Be a servant too. The ultimate authority who says, as a smiling judge who looks on those who have trusted in him and says, you are forgiven. And the ultimate power who will one day come on the clouds with all glory, with all power, and take us home. Let us pray.